Well, we are on week three of our series, which we've called Mission Eyes. And the reason we've chosen that is because we believe that God is already at work doing things in the world. Uh, He's been doing it from the very beginning of time, but uh, he continues to restore what has been broken and lost in the world and in all of creation and in humanity and in my life and in your life. God is involved in doing things to restore the goodness. We'll use a word a couple of times this week that we used two weeks ago, the word tov, which means good, that God wants to restore the good that has been lost and that he's doing that in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit who is with us. And so when we think about the mission of God, we're thinking about the ways in which God is restoring the tov of all creation and the tov of humanity as well. And that's for your life and it's for mine and it's for all of creation. And so if God is passionate about doing that, then we are too. Because what God is passionate about, surely the people of God should be passionate about. And if that's the mission of God, then we need to be missionized by God. We need to see with the eyes of God. We need to live in line with the mission of God in restoring all things back under Christ, and to that beauty of Tov, of his goodness. The other word that we've been using a lot is shalom, and I'll use it again today, that beautiful Hebrew word that talks about, well, we translate it at peace, but it means much more than that. Shalom is really the harmony, the good harmony of all things, the way God intended it. And so when we talk about shalom, whether personally or collectively, We're talking about the ways in which God is bringing everything back into its right and good harmony. Tov and shalom. This is what God is doing. This is what God's reign is doing. And so today we are going to go on a little bit further and speak about how the cross of Jesus Christ expresses this mission of God. Now, when this new building was built, uh, we had to, because the the land was, as one trustee called it, like porridge, because the ground was like porridge, we we had to get some piling installed, apparently 137 of them, into the ground to go down as deep, at least in one case, as 70 meters, to create a solid, level, stable platform on which to build. And those piles, don't mistake me when I use that word, those piles that go down deep, 137 of them became critical foundation blocks for that stable, flat level on which we could build. And you drill them deep down into the soil to ensure that stability. Well, I think that's what we're doing in these three weeks. We're doing what I would call theological piling, where we're taking some critical things that the Bible talks about, things that the church has held on to for generations that are all the way through the Bible, and we're digging them down deep and saying, okay, What does that have to say to us? What does this great story of God have to say to us? Not just about who God is, but then who we are. 
and so that we can build something of our life and church life on those foundations. And so the, the doctrines, the theological piling that we've been doing, we looked at the kingdom of God and the shalom reign of God. We've spoken about creation, the very beginning of the story. And then the end times, eschatology, if you like big theological words, but the end times, which is the end of the story. So we looked at Genesis and we looked at Revelation. And today we're going to look at the cross. And every time we do, we're, we're putting something deep down. And then we build on those things about what God is doing in his kingdom, in his shalom reign, in creation, in the end times, in the recreation, and in the cross, which is where we are going to today. And in time, by the time we get to the end of this series, we'll have covered a number of things. We'll think about the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and when we get closer towards Christmas, we're going to think about the incarnation, all critical foundation blocks for the church all throughout history so that we can build strong. And then we can build on top of all of this. So we're setting theological foundations to build on. And theology is meant to be practical, not intellectual. When we look at these subjects, they should not only bring revelation about who God is, but they should also help us to understand who we are. How do we respond to who God is? That we would join him in what he is doing, his mission. And so this week, we're going to be thinking about the cross. And as I was thinking about this, and as I was been reflecting on how a lot of people understand the cross, is that we understand it in small ways, rather than the breadth and depth of what the cross of Jesus Christ really means. And what I want to challenge you on this morning is, or encourage you into is, You've probably heard it said, don't put God in a box like we make him too small. Well, I want to say to you, don't put the cross in a box. Don't limit it to just one or two things. But understand rather its breadth and depth, its power, its glory, how it changes everything for everything, not just for you. And so I want to say, don't put the cross in a box. If, if I were to ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross, what would you say? Just a few people, just shout out. To reconcile man back to God. To reconcile man back to God. Yeah, Andrew. The second Adam. Say that again. The second Adam. The second Adam. Okay. We might not get on to that today. So we can live resurrection life now. So we can live resurrection life now. Redemption. Yeah. Remove the curse of the tree. You have to know your Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3 to gather some of this. What else? Well, I'm glad we're doing something on the cross this morning then. John. Ah, oh, to forgive us our sins and a clean conscience. Anything else? One more? To show God's love. Well, you had your hand up as well. Hope. Okay, we'll stop there. And all of these are absolutely right, but no one of them is the whole picture of the cross. 
Now, often when I ask this question, granted it didn't work this morning, it took till John till we got there, but generally, when you ask the question, why did Jesus die on the cross? Most people say something about to forgive sins, forgiveness, to deal with the sin of the sinners. Most of the time, we think about those type of things. For our sins, to bear or take on our sins, to pay the price for our sins. And, and that is indeed true. And I love the fact that one of the first things that I discovered about God in Christ Jesus and the cross was forgiveness. I can remember the moment when kneeling in prayer at a church in the east end of Glasgow, I felt that weight and burden of sin shift from my heart and my shoulders, and I experienced the forgiveness of God. And it was freeing, it was liberating. Hallelujah. You can say hallelujah anytime you like. <laughs> Almost. But it's not just about that. And each one of the things that we have said and mentioned this morning is something of the cross, but it's not the whole cross on its own. And so there'll probably be one or two or three of these boxes that you have in your mind. You say, well, the cross is about that. But the cross is about so much more. And I hope this morning that as we go through a wonderful passage in Colossians chapter 1, that you'll get a sense of the bigness of the cross, that it is greater and wider, and what is happening there is greater and wider. That includes all of these other little boxes, but let's not put the cross in a box. So we're going to go to Colossians chapter 1 and read uh, a section. It's almost like a poem. In fact, I would say it is a poem that the Apostle Paul writes in this letter to the church in Colossae. And we're going to start in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, 15. Oh, let's go back. Okay, here we are. So he's talking about Jesus the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. So before we get to the cross, we have to think about who's on the cross. This is Jesus, the Son of God. This is the one through whom creation is, comes into being. Through him, all things were made. This is not some kind of demigod or semi-god or human. He is human, but he is God. He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, what Paul is saying in this opening line to the poem is, if you want to know what God looks like, and who doesn't? If you want to know what God looks like, Look at Jesus. That's what God looks like. He is the image of the invisible God. God is revealing himself in Jesus. God is on the cross. Okay, hold that thought in your mind. God is on the cross. God's fullest revelation of himself is in Jesus. 
It is God on the cross, Jesus Christ, the crucified son, the crucified God, the one who created all things. Who is it then who is dying? The one who dies is in fact the one who gave everything life. Isn't that astounding? That the one who gave everything life is the one who is put to death. God on the cross. Now this is important. Paul is heading towards one of his big statements about the cross. He does that every so often in his writing. And he's heading to one of those big statements on the cross. And as he does, he's gathering together all kinds of things on the way to say, now this is included in the cross, and this is included in the cross, and this is included in the cross as well. So he begins, he says, the Son of God does not only have authority over the heaven and the earth, he created them. This Son of God does not only have authority over the visible and the invisible, the stuff we see, the stuff we don't, he created them. This Son of God who is nailed to a cross does not only have authority over thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, he created them. And Paul's just grabbing stuff all over the place from all of creation. You're saying, well, he has authority over that. Why? Because he created them and that, he created them and that, he created them. And what do you think? All of this he's gathering up and saying, this Jesus, this Son of God is above all of it. And he's gathering it all in. And in all its brokenness, And in all its destruction and in all the pain of all of these things, the stuff we see, the stuff we don't, the brokenness of the world, it's as if Paul is saying on the way to the cross, just remember Jesus is gathering all of that in to do something redemptive on the cross. Do you know that says to me and you, there's not a single thing in your life that God is not able to deal with because of his death and the cross and his resurrection. Not a single thing. And we have to take hold of that and believe it. We have put the cross in a little box and said, well, it'll forgive us our sins. The cross is making all things new, including the things in your very life. And all the stuff around us that we can't see, God is already at work. And the cross, because it is the Son of God, the creator of all things, who has authority over it all. On the cross he bears them. They die into the grave and Christ resurrects over them and begins to make all things new. I want to say to you this morning, there's things in your life that because of the cross of Christ, God wants to take and bury. And then as he rises up, he wants to make things new in your life. And there's nothing that isn't covered by the all things declaration of this poem. All things. Have you ever wondered why God created at all? It's just me that asks questions like that. But you ever wonder, why did, why did God create at all? Yeah, I kind of have this picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this nice little bubble together, you know, a little bit like lockdown, and just enjoying, you know, well, I know maybe some of you didn't enjoy being with your family in lockdown, but, uh, but you know, just get, but they, there's something inside them that wants to create. Why is that? Is it boredom? 
You know, an eternity of just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and just getting bored of each other and for fun? What is it? Why did God create experimentation? Let's have a challenge. No, it's love. God creates because he loves. At the very center of who God is, this holy trinity is an outward-facing, self-giving love. He creates us out of love and to love us and to allow us to share and walk in this love with him as he shares it with his creation. That's why God created. That's why he creates new. It's just love. You're here because God is love and he loves you and he invites you into that walk of sharing in his love. But in spite of his love-filled creation of all things, including his creation of us, we reject him. That's been the history of humanity. In spite of the desire of God's heart, we find it easy to walk away and reject. And it's been happening from the first generation to now. The one who lovingly creates and gives of his love is snubbed by his own creation. And a world that snubs its loving creator and goes its own way will descend back into the chaos from which the creator brought light and life and love. Do you remember that? The opening verses of Genesis, there was just chaos, darkness was all over the place. But God spoke, let there be light. And when humanity and when creation snubs God, it retreats often unknowingly, unwittingly back into that chaos. But even when his creation rejects, even when we descend back into the chaos, Jesus still holds creation in his hands. And he still holds you in his hands. Even when his creation no longer holds on to him, Jesus still holds creation. And Paul is saying, before he even gets to the cross, he says, Jesus holds creation. All things were created through him. All things. Well, then Paul moves on just to make sure we get it. He says, Jesus is supreme and central to this whole creation, to all of humanity's journey. Don't miss it. The centrality and supremacy of Jesus in everything. And this is the middle section of the poem. So the first section we just read, this is the middle section. There's three sections. This is the centerpiece. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Jesus holding all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. And at its simplest, Paul is saying, the more you get to know Jesus, the more you know about him, then the more 
you will know and understand the true God. Any other way is just not possible. It is Jesus. And he is the image of God. He is God. And the more we know him and know more about him, the more we understand and know this true God. And what he's done and what he is doing and how that impacts us. How then do we live in him and for him, becoming all we were meant to be as his children, as his beloved creation? It's all Jesus. That's why we must know Jesus. Everything hinges on him. And Paul adds, and of course, if Christ is the head of all things, then he must be the head of the church. If he's the head of all things, then he must be the head of the church. In which case, whatever Jesus is like, whatever Jesus is concerned about, whatever Jesus has done and whatever Jesus is doing, his mission must become our mission, our passion, our heart, our focus of our very life. But Paul isn't done. Having made it clear that Jesus is the beginning of all things in creation, Paul follows it up by saying, but Jesus is also the beginning of this new creation. Not just of the original creation, but of this new creation. Jesus is the beginning of this new creation also. So that he doesn't just hold creation in his hands, but he holds the new creation. He holds these two together. Now it's astounding enough that, that, that creation is held in Christ. But also this new creation that we all need. God is creating all things new and is, wants us to be part of that. He's bringing us into this new creation. He holds that also. Without Christ we have no new creation. We're stuck in the old brokenness of the old way, but not in Christ. The healing and redeeming and restoring of this broken, evil, corrupted, sin-stained world, the healing of all that is brought about by the very one who created it as he gives himself in self-giving love on the cross in order to restore the beauty of his shalom. You can't get to any other way. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning of this new creation of which we are invited to be part and find our own new creation too. That's why the cross is so central. It's so deep and so wide, it goes far beyond what we imagine it as just our singular, Lord, forgive me. And the cross, the new creation begins as Jesus holds old and new together. He is the beginning now of the new creation and the firstborn from among the dead, the decaying so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The decay of this world cannot and will hold him back. It will not hold him back. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things. All things. Not just my wee sins that are there and cause me pain and others pain, but all things. How? Reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, shalom, through his blood shed on the cross. There it is. That's what's happening in the cross. Do you get the depth and breadth, the deepness, the wideness of what the cross is doing? Much more than the little boxes we sometimes put the cross into. Thanks be to God that the cross does speak of forgiveness for us. But it speaks of much more too. That here in the cross of Christ, we find literally the turning point in all history. Here we find the beginning of this new creation that is unfolding from God. And here we see the beginning of the end of the decay, the corruption, the brokenness, the evil, the sin that has brought about such destruction in our world. This is huge. The cross is huge for everything. On the cross, Jesus takes not only my sins or yours, but the full weight of this cosmic tragedy that has brought such pain and destruction to this tov creation, this good creation, and to his beloved children, humanity. The cross is deep and wide in its reach, in its power, in its significance, its work, its benefit, and its ultimate destiny. Here, God is reconciling all things to himself by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus holds together both creation and new creation as he stretches out his arms. All things are being redeemed. Let me just briefly outline what we mean here. And I'm not clever enough to uh, work all this out for myself, so I rely on others to do so. But here's how John Stott summarizes the cross of Christ. First of all, that in the cross of Christ, there is the revelation of God, the glory of God. When we think about the glory of God, um, we might think of, 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 of something that we can hardly begin to behold, the greatness of God. If you go to John, John's gospel, the first 12 chapters are, are, are almost like, you know, Jesus everywhere he goes, there's miracles and wonders and signs, almost like it's coming out of his fingertips everywhere he goes. But do you know what Jesus says is the greatest revelation of the glory of God is? It's in the cross. Nor in the big and the magnificent of all that God can do, but in the fact that he gives himself in death on a cross to redeem all things, including you and I. And in John 12, Jesus talks about the fact that this is the glory. The hour has come for the Son of God to be glorified as he makes his way towards the cross. The cross, 
John Stott says, there appeared to be shame, was in fact glory. It is glorious that God himself in Christ takes on the cross for us and for all things. We're shown his glory. We're shown the justice and righteousness of God. On the cross, God deals with all that is wrong and evil and corrupt in the world. Thank God, because there's an awful lot of that which is evil and corrupt. And it's not just us that's saying that's not right. God in Christ is saying that's not right. The way this world works, this what was intended to be God's tove, good creation. It can't be left unjudged or unpunished. God must act to demonstrate his justice and righteousness. And so on the cross, it's Jesus who bears the weight of sin, not us. And that very act leads us to the cross as the revelation of the love of God. In the cross, God has given himself fully in love. The cross is the ultimate demonstration of God's self-giving love to you, to me, to all, to everything. And it's the true, na- we have some weird thoughts about what love is in our world. It is the true nature of love to give up oneself for the good and sake of another. We, we have become or the way in which we understand love is almost like it's self-demanding love. Your love for me will depend on whether or not it makes me feel better or more accepted or whatever it might be. But true love is demonstrated in the self-giving love of God. Not in a self-demanding love. If you love me, you would this. Paul says, love is not self-seeking. Here's what we read in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, away, wandering, snubbing him, Christ died for us. The cross is a revelation of the self-giving love. If you want to know if Jesus loves you, look at the cross. If you want to know if God loves you, look at the cross. The revelation of God. Then the salvation of sinners. I don't have time to go into all of this, but where we do find our forgiveness and cleansing, thanks be to God. Where we're justified, as if you were in a law court and and Jesus steps in and says, you were guilty, but you're not anymore. Or our liberation, our redemption. The fact that Jesus on the cross not only forgives us for our sins, but breaks the power of sin. We're freed from it in the cross of Christ. There's power in the cross to break the power of sin so that we're liberated, we're freed. But then we're reconciled, we're brought back home to where we belong with God. This is good news. We, the sinner, find our salvation. And then lastly, the conquest of evil. 
victory and triumph over evil and the enemy. A cosmic, universal, public event. That's the cross. On the cross, all the worst is thrown at and placed onto Jesus. All the brokenness, all the evil, all the wrong, all the injustice, all the vile corruption. All of it is lumped on Jesus in the cross. This is much more than personal sin. This is everything that is wrong with all things. Is placed on Jesus on the cross. It is the moment that evil seems to have won, seems to have triumphed over God and over good. And if we go to Matthew's gospel, when Jesus dies, there's this picture of everything kind of erupting around him at the moment of of Jesus' death. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. The tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. This is a cosmic event. Stuff's shaken as Jesus dies on the cross. That's not insignificant. Why? Because this changes everything. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely this was the Son of God who has created all things and who is redeeming all things in this new creation in the cross. Feels like even heaven and earth and everything under the earth are all being drawn into this cosmic moment and event of the cross. Even the earth is groaning in pain for liberation. All the worst of the enemy and of evil, all the worst of humanity is hurled at Jesus, nailing him to the cross. There's nothing held in reserve in terms of sin and evil and sorrow and suffering. It's all being laid on him. And now death looms. The final curse of the forces of darkness as they seek to extinguish Jesus' light. And as Jesus breathes his last, he cries, it is finished. The work of the cross in Christ's death is ending the old and beginning the new, the new creation of all things. This is not a confession of defeat, it is finished. It's not a murmur of loss, it's not a cry of failure, it's a declaration of triumph, of completion. Everything that's been done and that needed to be done to deal with sin, and with the forces of darkness who've sought to exploit and corrupt the harmony of God's tove creation. They've wrung themselves dry on Jesus. Thick darkness covers the earth and the earthquake splits the rocks. And for a moment it seems like the enemy has won, that evil has prevailed, that darkness has secured their fatal blow. But the cry, it is finished is not the end of the Son of God, but the beginning of the end of the forces of darkness. 
in this moment. Jesus is securing victory over the forces and powers of darkness, both the spiritual forces and the human forces of darkness. And having disarmed all the powers and authorities, he makes a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Love has accomplished its purpose and has dealt its own defining blow. Something happened when Jesus died that broke the separation, the destruction, the distortion of all things that had been forged by the enemies of God. And instead, his death reconciles and redeems all things back to God. The cross is the fundamental turning point of all things, of all history, of all the universe. God is establishing his shalom rule through the cross on which he hangs. His mission on the cross is not just our forgiveness, wonderful though that is, but the bringing back all things to the beauty and harmony of God's shalom reign. Don't put the cross in a box. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and join me at the front as we prepare for communion. We are invited into this new creation that was started and begun in the cross of Christ. And we enter it by welcoming Christ and his cross to our own lives. That Jesus did die for us as well as for all things. And Jesus left a meal with his disciples of bread and wine to remind us of this death where his body was broken and his blood was shed. Why? Because it is the most foundational and fundamental thing that brings about this new creation that God is doing. I know sometimes it's painful to live in our world. It might even sometimes be painful for you to live in your life. But God is making things new and we find it in Christ and in his cross. And then in welcoming Christ into our lives to then join with him, to follow him in the redeeming of all things. And so we're going to sing, and it's a song of triumph as we move towards communion. Because this message is a message of triumph. Be blown away by the work of Christ on the cross. And so I invite you to stand as we sing and then take communion in victory and in triumph. Would you stand?